You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. In August of 2012, our guest today was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. The medical community told her that without conventional treatment, she would be dead within two years. But she started using alternative treatments, including cannabis oil, and recently celebrated five years of being cancer-free. Joining us from Medicine Hat, Alberta, is Paula Doyle Weigel. Paula, thanks very much for doing this, and congratulations on being cancer-free. Thank you, and thank you for having me again. What does your five-year anniversary of being cancer-free mean to you? First, I haven't been cancer-free for five years. This In February, I had my third reoccurrence. In February so, of this year? Yeah, February of this year, I became really ill. I had another pleural effusion, so fluid in the pleural space. And I had to go to the emergency department, and when I was CT'd, I had 2,800 cc's of fluid in my chest, so everything was shifted to the right. I had a medial shift, so my heart was pushed over. I was hardly breathing, and I ended up in Calgary at Foothills um, with emergency surgery, and they found breast cancer cells in the pleural space. So that's what was causing the fluid. So I had the surgery, had that removed, and I just had a CT six months later on Monday, and I'm no evidence of disease. And my blood work is fantastic. It's the best it's ever been in my life, and I feel fantastic. So So, I'm done. So this has been a five-year journey. A five-year journey, but I know that... Just because I know my body so well, I'm so in tune with my healing that I know that this was the last the last thing that I had to go through, the last process in my own healing. So you, you were diagnosed with cancer in August of 2012. It's been a process over five years, but a recent scan showed that you are free of cancer. Correct. Okay. Now, for those listeners who may not have heard our previous interview, which we did in episode 26, take us through some of the alternative treatments you used. So in 2012, when I was diagnosed in August, I refused chemo and radiation and researched for three months, decided on going to a clinic in Mexico in November 12, and had three weeks of just IV treatments and was given the clear, just come back in a year um, for a top-up. My mother at the time had esophageal cancer, and she passed away in January 2013, so five months after I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the lump that I had removed in August came back in February 2013, and I decided not to have surgery at that time again. And I started doing the Gerson therapy um, cannabis oil at that time, I worked my way up to a gram in two and a half weeks. 
and a lot of different supplements. I was working with a naturopath in Toronto and that was my journey. And for a year and a half, that lump grew. I was on high THC Rick Simpson oil. So it was made with butane, what I was taking at that time. And the lump just kept growing. Then I discovered that taking high THC can cause that in estrogen positive breast cancers. So I actually stopped the cannabis oil altogether for about six weeks. And then I restarted it, but I restarted it with a one-to-one oil. And I was only taking, and I still only take about a half a gram at night for a maintenance dose. So through that whole process, like in May 2015, I went to another healing clinic in Mexico for eight weeks and had like integrative therapy, holistic therapy for my whole body, mind, spirit. And yeah, I've just been doing my thing. Meditating has been a huge, huge part of my healing, just discovering my inner self and cannabis. Like I have to give credit to cannabis for that, just discovering myself and who I am and why I'm here. Okay, ladies, explain this to me. Hormone-driven breast cancer, we've always been told that THC kills cancer, but mm-hmm. with hormone-driven breast cancer, you need a higher CBD. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, back in the day, unfortunately, we just treated all cancers with high THC. And certainly we were successful in clearing breast cancers, um, like triple negatives and stuff, but the hormone-driven ones were certainly more difficult. We didn't have as much of a success rate. And then there was a study that came out indicating that THC can drive estrogen-type cancers, Um, and that CBD was the way to go. And then straight CBD, unfortunately, we didn't see any changes in people, uh, or in my experience, that was the case. Um, And now the recommended suggestion is one-to-one or two-to-one CBD to THC. Is Mm -hmm. Is that what you do, Paula? Yeah, that's what I do. And I I have someone who makes my oil for me now. Um, I was really fortunate to have met this person that adds terpenes back into my oil. So I have the beta um, pinene and uh, alpha pinene added in and a couple more terpenes. Because when you make the medicine, it's whole plant medicine, but the terpenes do come out of it. And the terpenes are actually the most important part of the medicine rather than THC or CBD. Mm-hmm. Terpenes are discovering are very, very important in healing. Paula, I'm wondering what it was like for you during this five-year period where your cancer kept reoccurring. What was, mm-hmm. what was that like for you psychologically when it came back? Um, the first time when it came back, like that short time, like only five months later, I knew immediately that it was emotional, that I had a lot of work to do inside. And that, like, my mom passing away really started me on the path to healing. And I don't mean physically, I mean, like, spiritually, emotionally, because I believe that in order to heal physically, you need to heal, like, spiritually, emotionally, and the physical will follow. And that's what happened for me. So I just had such faith through this process that it was just a process. And there was a big reason I was here on this earth, because honestly, I've died twice and had the choice whether to come back or not. So I know that I just have such faith that I know that I'm here for a purpose and I'm on my purpose now. 
It was interesting in the interview we did with you first uh, last November, you, you said you have to heal emotionally and spiritually, then the physical will follow. And I mm. guess, Corey, the number of people that you've dealt with and the number of people we've interviewed here have always had some emotional, I shouldn't say always, but frequently have some emotional trauma in their life. Yeah. That And it comes out in the form of cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess with Paula, with you, it was uh, dealing with your mother's death? Yeah, it started um, like 10 years to the day previous. I went back because someone said, go back 10 years. And there, you know, oftentimes there's trauma, there's like a huge stressful event that's happened. And to the day of my cancer diagnosis was the day I left my husband. And then after that, my brother got really sick with H1N1. And every day it was like an up and down, whether he was going to live. And if he did live, he would be brain dead and have end organ damage, etc. And through that event... Like my hands came over him and I told God, take him if you're done with him. If not, take him and heal him. And he left his body and in three days he came back. He was taken off life support and has no end organ damage at all. He was taken off renal dialysis, everything. Wow. So that was a stressful event for me. And then two years later with my mom going through basically the same thing, three weeks in hospital, major surgery, nearly died. I was with her the whole three weeks. And in the meantime, I had already finished an Ironman, was training for another Ironman. And just the stress physically on my body, mentally, from, you know, all these illnesses in my family just really took a toll on me. And it was time for me to wake up. That's the way I look at it. And the only thing that would put me on the spiritual path, because I know I've always known I was a healer. I've just suppressed it. The only thing that could wake me up is what I've gone through the last five years. Because I don't listen very well. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> yeah, you're a stubborn person. You said that you uh, you needed to be hit over the head with a frying pan in order to wake up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your brother is healthy. Yeah, my brother's completely, he was 31, and he's 39 now. He has no lung scarring, which is unheard of with H1N1. I mean, he was on ECMO. He wasn't just ventilated on a ventilator or breathing machine. He was on ECMO, so huge, like, holes in his neck and his femoral artery in the groin area, and that would circulate the blood. And that's what they put people on that have lung or heart transplants, and it's only used for four hours at a time. And he was on it for three weeks. And it kept going down, so his oxygen sats would be like 40%. So that's why the doctor kept saying, you know, he's been down for two minutes. He's going to have brain, brain issues if he... Yeah. But no, he's completely fine. Paula, you have gone through this spiritual awakening that you mm-hmm. have, have endured over the last uh, number of years. How difficult was that for you to kind of face your fears? Um, Well, when it first started to happen is when I started on cannabis oil. And for eight months, I cried. I think I said this in my first interview. I cried for eight months, morning until night. I would sit in front of our fireplace and my husband would leave for work and I would just have tears streaming down my face. He'd come home and I'd be in the same position. 
And I went through what is called dark night of the soul or our shadow side. And just things were coming up. I was paranoid. I, I just needed to really sit with myself. And I was given that opportunity to just be by myself with the therapies that I chose. I really isolated myself doing Gerson. I was in my home like 24-7, only could leave to get vegetables because I was tied to my juicer. But I look back now, I've actually created a map of my life with all the significant things that have happened that have led me to this day that it will be in my book as well. So it was very difficult, very, very difficult, those eight months. But as all these things were happening, I was getting more and more synchronicities from the universe that, and I, you know, started to really hear things and feel things and see things. And I have a huge healing team that are always around me. And I would say, like, give me a sign and I would get a sign. My faith just increased, increased, increased to where, and then dying too, and seeing that there is another side. It's light. It's, I can't even explain the love, the source energy that, like, I'm not afraid to go. Like, when I'm done here, I know that I'll be done. You can't control that. I don't want to control it. So, you know, I've come a long way. I've really broke down, basically. That's, I've really, surrendered. You also quit your job as a nurse that you had for more than 20 years, correct? Yeah. um, After, yeah, they weren't very kind in the workplace. Um, I applied for short-term disability after my mom passed away and to do my own healing of cancer. And I was refused because I didn't do chemo and radiation because I was picking alternative ways. So in March, I had to go to the doctor and I just got a stress note until June. And when it was time for me to go back, decided I had to quit because I had committed to Garrison for two years and there was no way I could juice every hour if I was working. And I just wasn't in that state of mind. I wouldn't be able to work doing the high doses of cannabis, neither. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also said that you never describe cancer as a fight, and you're not the first person that we've talked to that said that. Explain what you mean by that. Well, there's a lot of... Are you allowed to swear on here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, do whatever you want. There's a lot of people who view cancer as, like, their slogan is, fuck cancer. You see T-shirts like that. And for me, I... Like, even saying that, the energy that comes from that is, it's really negative to me. And I just don't believe in that. Cancer for me, I knew when the doctor told me that I had cancer, that it was my wake-up call, that it was going to be my greatest teacher. And it has been. I've always viewed it like that. I've never, ever said, why me? You know, I was so healthy. I ate good. Like, there was no explanation at all for me to have cancer or what I've gone through. It is a, it's a miracle. Like, it really is. I shouldn't be here. Corey, do you feel the same way when you had cancer that you had to look at your life and yourself and, and what you were doing in terms of diet and uh, spirituality, emotionally, physically, things like that? Well, I, I don't know that I did to the extent um, that Paul, the journey Paul has done here. I do know that I've said to people, certainly more than once, um, that getting cancer at some level was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
And they look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) But it's changed my life. It's completely changed my life, this whole journey that I've been on. Do you feel the same way, Paula? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't trade the last five years in for anything, even though like some of those times were were awful, like on my knees more than my feet. Um, but I don't know. I don't, Corey, you looking in and seeing my journey, like the last four years that I've known you, you could see better. But like I have my daughter just told me, the other night that she has people asking her now, is your mother a hypochondriac? Because she looks so good. There's no way she could have cancer, let alone be diagnosed with stage four. And I'm like, really? Society really thinks not, God, your mom looks great. What's she doing? Well, I haven't heard anybody say, say, you know, that you're a hypochondriac, but, um, but I certainly, I certainly, sorry. Like my whole journey though, I've felt good. I've looked good. So I can see why people would think that, but it hasn't been all roses, that's for sure. No, but you do, you do look amazing, but you certainly blossomed, that's yeah. for sure, that's for sure. Well, Corey, you have a similar story, that when you were ill, you you looked beyond your years, and then mm-hmm. when you started taking cannabis oil and healed yourself, people would walk, people right, walk you right. would yeah. walk right by you. Yeah, they'd walk right by me, not even recognize me. Paula, do you ever? I mean, this is a this is a tough question for someone who is as uh, optimistic as you. But in the recesses of your mind, is there ever a fear that the cancer will come back, or do you think you've got this sucker licked? Never, no, it won't come back. I have no doubt. How do people in the medical community in your area feel about the fact that you've taken alternative treatments and you've kicked cancer's rear end um well it depends on who you're talking to uh my husband is a physician and he is like totally amazed walking alongside me in this journey doing something completely different than what he was taught um colleagues that you know i've texted and said you know my scan's clear it's five years they're ecstatic they they can't believe it um but I don't I don't honestly like know what goes on in their head because when you're that like Western medicine, I think they tend to think, Oh, you're just lucky or mm-hmm. like oncology when I went yesterday to get the scan results, although I already had them, my family doctor called me and was ecstatic. He was very surprised, I guess, and couldn't be happier. But the oncologist, when she came in, she didn't say your scan is clear, this is fantastic. It was like, okay, when the cancer comes back, uh, we, can offer, oh, we can offer you blah, 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 and just on and on and kept repeating that and then said, there's nothing there right now, but, and then I just, I'd had it. And I just wow. said, can you not be happy that there's nothing on the scan? Like, do you actually tell people this when they come in to see you? Because my head, it's not about me. It doesn't bother me, but... I think of the other people who come in that aren't as strong as me, yes. and you, you should be ecstatic that you've got a clear scan, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. especially things the other way. Like, what are you doing? Would you not ask that? What are you doing that you look so good? What are you doing that, you know, six months later, there's nothing there still? What did she say? Nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, you may as well have been talking to the, a brick wall. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. It actually, 
I was so excited going there because I thought I would walk in and she would say, your skin is clear. But by the time I left there and all day yesterday, I said to my husband, this is really bizarre. Like the feeling that I have, you know, you can't put doubt in my head, but there, she managed to put this little bit of doubt in my head that, oh my God, is it going to come back? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, no, it's not. But I just feel bad for other people. Yeah, because there is definitely that mental slash emotional component to cancer. So if you've got somebody who's not as strong mentally and they go in and are told, oh, this is going to come back, they're thinking about that. And you know what, I, you know what I'm getting at here, Paula, how your, your thoughts create your reality? Exactly. Yeah. What about your GP? Was he? Did he stand be, behind you all the way with the, what you chose to do? Um, I actually, this GP that I have, I never went to a GP. I just, I did this all on my own. But this GP I have um, for two years now, and I know him like as a friend too. And he's very, very supportive. He's the one who phoned me on Tuesday after the scan on Monday. And he said, I haven't read this yet. I just pulled it up now. So I'm going to go through it with you. And he was like ecstatic, like going through all my organs and bones and, you know, that there's nothing there. He said, this is like the best thing that we could hope for. So yeah, he's been really supportive. So you are in better health today, probably than at any time in your adult life. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, I w- not physically, but I am very balanced now, whereas before I was very physical. I was not balanced with the, you know, emotional, spiritual stuff. It was almost like you were you were a runner, you were into triathlons. It seems to me, just in interviewing you, that that was almost uh, an emotional escape for you. Yeah, now, like, looking back, um, like, writing my book and looking back at things that happened, I know that, like, people would say to me, why are you running? What are you running from? And I would think, what do you mean, what am I running for? From? I've always run. I've run since I was a kid. But now, looking back, I can see that I was running from myself. Um, I don't really understand why. It's not like I had anything traumatic happen to me or anything, but I could never, I was not that person that could sit still, meditate, just be by myself. I always had to be on the go. And I can see that now with the physical things that I did with weightlifting and running, swimming, biking, always busy and not, not allowing me to get to know me, like who I really am. You know, when you said that, I, a thought popped into my head that when you do physical exercise like you do, and then all of a sudden you have to look inward, it can be very, very difficult initially, can't it? Oh, yeah. That When I went through Dark Night of the Soul, that was part of the process. Is I felt literally like chunks were being ripped away from me as I was just losing my identity, which I thought was my identity, but now I know it's not. But like being a nurse... I wasn't working anymore. Being independent, an independent woman, I wasn't working anymore. I had no income. Being so physical and not being able to have an, an outlet for that energy, it, yeah, it was very difficult. It's not now. I'm very, I feel very balanced. And like I say, I wouldn't change anything. I don't miss all those things because I've filled myself up 
with the things that I needed. I'm nurturing myself now. Paula, do you still juice? Yes, I do. Not very much, though, like one or two juices a day. So, And I'll go on juice breaks, too, where I don't juice at all. How different is your nutrition today than compared to August of 2012? Oh, it's very different. Um, it's very different since my last illness in February. I basically I lost a lot of weight. I was down to 114 pounds, which is like really thin for me. And I wasn't eating very much. Um, and I just decided, uh, like, I I go on guidance, so I hear things, and and I'm so in tune with my body that I know what it needs. And it was just like, Paula, you don't need to go away to fix this. You don't need to take supplements to fix this or eat a certain way. Just be. Just finally be. And I didn't have my spirit for about a month. I would look in the mirror, and I wasn't there. And I would cry and say to my husband, when is my spirit going to come back? Because literally, I felt nothing inside. And then one day, my spirit came back, and I started eating. And now I eat whatever I want. If I want to have an ice cream, I'll go have an ice cream. So I'm doing things that I haven't done in years. And I am honestly just being. I'm just living because my whole belief system has changed and people who are healing from cancer are going to think this is crazy, but I've always actually thought this, but was always afraid to move forward with it. And it's just being, just eating what I want. I'll have a glass of wine if I want, where I never drank alcohol after I was diagnosed with cancer. I really limited myself even more than I was limiting myself before. So I've completely changed. I'm not afraid. And most people, you go on forums. I won't go on any forums anymore because it's so, I can just see the energy in, you know, what is your protocol? How are you restricting yourself? This is how I see it all now, that women are just, it's crazy. It's crazy what we do to try and heal, but we're actually, we're doing the opposite. Yeah, I remember getting a call from a, a woman that I worked with um, quite um, quite closely and she lived in Chicago, and she was in tears because she spent all day juicing. She said, I'm just craving a steak, and she was sobbing. I don't know how much longer I can do this, and I wish I could just have a glass of wine. I'm like, why don't you have a glass of wine, and why don't you have a steak? Like, you've got to have some joy in your life. Exactly, and I had no joy. On my last interview, I think I said this, that my youngest daughter at the time, I think she was 20 two or 23 and she said to me when i was going through dark night of the soul she said mom we're here to experience joy and if you're not experiencing joy then you need to go and it that hit me like a bricks and i was just like oh my god from this young woman that sees things more clearly than her mother but to this day like that just really sticks with me and it's true that's yeah that's a pretty profound statement and a very true statement yeah, we are yeah. here to experience joy, and really, uh, what do you think of when you think of people having cancer? You, you think misery. Exactly. Paula, tell us about the book you're writing. Mm-hmm. So, my book starts um, actually starts back with my divorce, just to kind of give my journey 
so people can see kind of what I went through. It's about my life, and I just take them through my answer journey and what I've done. And getting this clear scan is the end of my book. And it's called Stripped. I am so fucking done with cancer, meaning I'm done. And now I've got this, it's like a synchronicity thing for me. It's like a confirmation that I agreed to do this scan because I don't do scans. This is my first scheduled one that I agreed to do it and it's clear. So it's like, okay, that's the end of your book. You're done. You're done with cancer. When is the book coming out? Um, I'm not quite done it. I have probably about 10 more pages to do only. So I'm hoping like for sure by the spring it'll be out. Okay. Maybe or if I like put it on an ebook like on Kindle first. Paula, yeah. it's a fantastic news that you are now cancer free. It will never be in your body again. And as your daughter said, uh like we're here to be joyous. And you're joyous now. And uh, I know anyone who does triathlons, once they stop, they'll feel joy. <laughs> that's that's tough on your body. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Paula, anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Um, I would just like to get the message across to people that are listening that if you are diagnosed with cancer, you need to do your own research because I believe that when we get a diagnosis of cancer, it is to empower us to look inside and see what we've been doing in our lives that need to change. Um, if you choose to do Western medicine, the chemo, the radiation, that's fine. But also realize that you need to support your body through that, your physical body, your spiritual body. And to always listen to yourself. Don't ask for other people's protocols and what they're doing because you you are the only one. Your higher self is the only one that can heal you. And I do have a website, PaulaDoyle-Weigel.com, and you can download an ebook on there. And it just lists uh, links of things that I've done. And I did this ebook just so that people weren't contacting me all the time and I was repeating myself. So you're welcome to go there and download that for free. Paula, wonderful story. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Paula. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye, Corey. Bye. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at DopeHistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.